Welcome to the Weekly Standard Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Graham. With us from the American Enterprise Institute is Andy Smerick, who also writes occasionally for us here at TWS. And you have a great piece about surviving Thanksgiving with those obnoxious nieces and their goofy uh, uh, politically protesting boyfriends. Right, Andy? Well, something along those lines. <laughs> Generally about humility. Well, before we get to the humility... Yes or no, a good idea when the uh, obnoxious niece's boyfriend starts blabbing on about social justice to just whap them right in the face with a fistful of uh, mashed potatoes? Is that a good idea? You know, it's the holidays. We should take a deep breath and smile and um, (laughs) hold hands or something. Well, actually, your piece is a lot more uh, nuanced and in-depth than this conversation, so I'm going to hand it over to you. But before you talk about your proposal advocating modesty— Tell us about the politics of smug. Well, it's really, really interesting. So as you know, lots of conservatives over time have made the point that um, there are lots of folks on the left who um, have a tendency to suggest that to be a conservative is to be uneducated or just not to follow the news enough. And so conservatives have been saying this for quite some time. But what's been fascinating is during 2016, a number of writers on the left all wrote articles along these exact same lines, like what I call is self-diagnosing the politics of smug, kind of looking in the mirror and saying, we progressives have been too smug for too long. It's influencing the way we engage with people. It's influencing our politics and policies. And we got to come to grips with this. And some people might say then, you know, hashtag, that's why Trump got elected. Um, But it's fascinating that so many people wrote about it all at the same time, and it was looking in the mirror. Well, how is smugness... I mean, other than being you know, off-putting, a problem, particularly in political discourse and getting back to that Thanksgiving table conversation. Well, I think the gist of it is this. Uh, if you if we have humility, if we have modesty, if we're willing to say out loud and actually believe that we don't have all of the right answers, that um, our abilities are limited, that we are flawed human beings, it has a way of changing the way that we interact with people and the policies that we put in place. So we can have our principles, we can have our gut reactions, we can even think about stuff and have views on various policy initiatives. But then ultimately, we have to hit pause and say, well, maybe I'm wrong about this. Maybe I need to rely on other people. Maybe I need to uh, just listen to other folks and see what they have to say. And you know, part of this is you can see politicians who are always, as my army friends would say, on transmit and never on receive. <laughs> uh, And so there's something to be said for this. How often are we willing to listen and just kind of hush up and say, well, I don't agree, but maybe I'm wrong. You know, you quote in your piece for the Weekly Standard, the uh, uh, President Lincoln's second inaugural address. And uh, you you, I had never noticed before the that the turn of phrase he uses at the end about doing God's will as we can see it. In other words, saying saying right up, you know. Instead of saying what you would hear today from a New York Times editorial writer or an Atlantic Monthly columnist, let me tell you what's right because I obviously know what's right. He says, I want to do what's right, but I'm not even sure I know what that is. 
Well, this is, I mean, why we should always go back to Lincoln. Um, we think that we've mined all of his quotes for all of their smarts, and then we realize that there's this thing as well. So I write this piece about the need to both have backbone, but also to have temperance, to have a disposition where you say, okay, well, I might not have all the answers. And there it is, as I say at the end of the article, in our greatest president's greatest speech, he has his greatest line, which is at the very end after like really speaking from the heart about like what the nation has gone through. He asks you know, for the ability of the nation to somehow simultaneously do what we think is right to sort of have resolve while at the same time recognizing that the Lord gives us a limited ability to know what is right. So the point of like that part of the speech, but also my article is how do we both have a titanium backbone um, and stand up for what we think is absolutely morally correct while saying um, uh, I may not have all the answers. So what are some signs for people who are not self-aware and are listening smugly going, what does this goofball know? That's what I'm, what am I wasting my time on this? What's a hint that you might be smug? Well, the traditional conservative answer is that you think you have the right answers in the moment, that you are not going to trust our longstanding institutions. You're not going to trust your predecessors. You're not going to trust the customs and traditions that you think all of this stuff that came before us was just, um, you know, an accretion of errors of these um, uh, of the uh, the thoughtless people, the Neanderthals who came before us, that you're not willing to give um, much credence to all of the smart people in generations that have gone past, that you're willing to just sort of shut down all discussion, as people say, uh, if you're in a conversation, are you able to answer the second question? Because you've been listening and you've been thinking about these issues. Uh, it's really about who do you think has the answers? You, the person like sitting in your chair, or the people who came before you and the people all around you? So I thought the answer was going to be if your name is John Stewart and you used to host a television show, that's a sign that you may in fact be smug. And well, it's interesting how many of his fellow liberals are now casting their uh, angry glances at him. Why is John Stewart the poster child for the smugness uh, that you write about in the Weekly Standard? Well, this was one of the most remarkable parts of the research I did. Uh, and I found five, six, seven uh, different progressives who had written on this subject of smugness. And time and time again, they came back to what they viewed as like the media's role, particularly the Daily Show. And they would name check Jon Stewart or Stephen Colbert or now this next generation of um, younger comedians who have followed them, which is those programs weren't just about making jokes. They were about scorn. They were about... Uh, holding up what other people whose political views they disagreed with had done and then just laughing at them. That it, there wasn't much of a conversation, a discussion. It was just about let me show the audience how these people are not smart or not educated, um, don't read enough. And so comedy wasn't uh, as much about, you know, irony or all that much about like a, uh, pointing out examples where a little something went wrong. It is my opponents are not smart. And these are progressives saying this about their own movement, their own side. And what drives me crazy about it, and I've had this conversation many times with my friends on the left, is you keep telling me over and over again how smart you are. Tell me something you got right, because from my adult lifetime. The whether it was confronting Soviet communism or, you know, the Reagan approach to economics or welfare reform or Obama you know, to go forward now to Obamacare or the war on terror on 
um, virtually every major issue of the day, with the uh, uh, with the exception and an important exception of of the, the issue of race relations, the left has gotten it indefensibly, undeniably, mathematically look at the results wrong. And so these people are simultaneously constantly telling you how to drive a car, and they're the ones whose di- bumpers are covered with dents and whose windshield is bashed out. Well, there the two things uh, that, that makes me think of two things. The first is that wonderful Chesterton um, line about you know if you see a fence, an old fence in an old field, uh, pause before you take it down. Like there is a reason why it was put up. Right. That is, other people may have known something that you just can't see right now. Um, so that that is first like the deference to the people who came before. But then there's the other thing that often, uh, and I think folks in both the Weekly Standard and other outlets have written about this recently, is often uh, President Obama increasingly recently, but then others are constantly saying, let's be on the right side of history. Uh, it's suggesting that even right now, what we're doing may seem wrong, but we are skating to where the puck is going to be. We we know what the right answer is going to be 20, 40, 50 years from now. So don't judge us by Obamacare's um, shortcomings right now. Don't judge us by the economy right now. We're going to be on the right side of history. It's an interesting way of insulating your current performance by saying, oh, in the future, they're going to realize how wise we were. Well, I just want the folks who are having Thanksgiving with me to know if you try to defend Obamacare on the merits, the side dishes will be flying. That's all yep. I got to say. Food will be flying. Andy Smerick, thanks so much for joining us for this podcast. We appreciate your time. It was a real pleasure being with you. Thanks. You've been listening to the Weekly Standard Podcast. Please be sure to check weeklystandard.com regularly for podcast updates. Better still, subscribe to the Weekly Standard Podcast at iTunes.com. It's absolutely free, and you'll never miss another podcast. I'm your host, Michael Graham.